How's everybody today? Happy Mother's Day, moms. Going to honor you a little bit more before our morning is done, so so be ready for that. And I do want to pass on to you just a, as a word of encouragement, church family. Um, there was a young man who was in our first service together, and and I just kind of struck up a conversation with him at the end, and and he says he says you know what he said this is the first church, and he was absolutely serious. He said this is the first church that I've ever been in where it felt to me like the people really wanted to be here. Wow. That was awesome. That was a great thought. He, he, he came from, I think, from Iowa, and he, he said back in Iowa, he says, the, the people go because that's what you do. It's just tradition. Everybody goes. He says, here, the people want to be here. Would that be true of you? Yeah? yeah? You're not here because tradition says you should be here? Right on, man, right on. May that be the feel that anyone has who comes to IBC. And if you're visiting IBC for the very first time, really glad to have you with us. My name is Tim. My privilege to help us enjoy God through the study of his word this morning. So with that thought in mind, I'll ask you to grab your Bible and turn with me this morning, first of all, into the New Testament to the book of Romans, chapter 12. If you need a Bible, Bob can share one that we keep in the back for that purpose. And if you'll grab this little note page from your bulletin as well. Uh, that might be of some help along the way. And church family, um, as, as you would know from last time, we introduced a new study series that's going to kind of occupy our thoughts for a while going forward and uh, hopefully grip our thoughts and our hearts as we do that. The new series is simply called One Another. And so if you weren't with us last time, that's what we did. We kicked off a brand new study series called One Another. We talked about how We are blessed to live in a great, great country. We are proud to be called Americans and to be citizens of a world-leading nation. But we also noted last time that our beloved country is powerfully and deeply influenced by what we called a culture of individualism, an American culture, an American worldview that highly esteems and highly values individualism. And what is individualism? Well, we defined it as simply the belief in the primary importance of the individual and the virtues of self-reliance and personal independence. A belief in the primary importance of the individual and in the virtues of self-reliance and personal independence. We like, as a people, being characterized as a nation of innovators and and self-starters and pull yourself up by your bootstrappers and stand on your own two feet and do-it-yourselfers. We like that thought as a people. And such a philosophical, cultural orientation has really some commendable qualities and attributes that go with that, making most of us reluctant to loosen our grip on this way of thinking and this way of doing life. However... What became very clear to us last time was that individualism as a cultural orientation, as a way of thinking and as a way of living, is completely missing on the pages of our Bibles, right? You don't find this orientation in Scripture. The Holy Spirit, who put the heart of God onto the pages of our Bibles for us, very deliberately and very purposefully removes every hint 
of the philosophy of individualism from our Bibles and replaces it with what we are simply calling a culture of one anotherism. One anotherism. Remember that from last week? Well, that's a brand new uh, two-word phrase. We made it up ourselves because it didn't exist anywhere else. But it is essentially the thought behind one anotherism it's, is that it's the very opposite of individualism. One anotherism replaces an orientation centered on I and me with one that is centered on we and, and us. And what does one anotherism actually look like? Well, it's a great question, but it looks like these 40-plus statements that you see on the back side of that little insert page from your bulletin. There are 40 different one another's that we find printed out for us, posted on the pages of God's Word. You scan down that list just for a few moments. Just take a quick scan of these 40 one another's that we've taken from God's Word. And that is a picture of what we might call one anotherism. That's what our Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit want for us here at Idaho Bible Church as a, as a community that are living together in a shared faith and love for Jesus. Residing deep within the heart of God is a desire to see every lover of Jesus living out their relationship with him, participating, fully engaged, serving and functioning in a local church family. And you're part of that family if IBC is your home or wherever your church home might be today. At the center of this local community of faith-sharing believers who are crazy in love with Jesus will be a worldview, a cultural mindset, a cultural orientation of one anotherism if we're doing it biblically. Not even a trace of individualism, but a church family that's permeated and saturated and esteems and practices this thing called one anotherism. Forty different one another actions or activities that we are to do or to participate in. And we're supposed to do this, brothers and sisters, with the same comfortableness and consistency that we practice breathing. One anotherism is to be for us as natural as taking a breath. And as we do these one anothers, as we're enabled by God to do them, not self-enabled, but God-enabled, we strengthen the relational bonds that we have with one another we grow up together spiritually. We don't stay baby Christians if we're practicing these things. And we make visible and real in very tangible ways the person of Jesus for people who do not yet know him as their Lord and their Savior. There's a lot of upside to this thing called one anotherism. So last time, we took up the crown jewel of the one another's, the one that comes straight from Jesus to us as a command. You remember which one that was if you were with us last time? Love one another, right? Jesus commands us to do that. He, he puts that on the page of John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Can we read it aloud right off the, right off the screen together? Let's, let's do that. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples 
if you have love for one another. What is the theme of those two verses? <laughs> Impossible to miss, right? Love one another. People who don't know Jesus in your life, as well as those who do know Jesus in your life, will know that you know Jesus in your life if you love one another. And so we unpacked that um, last time. Today, there are 39 other one another's that we can pick from as we seek to enlarge our understanding and our practice of one anotherism. 39 other possibilities this morning. And the one that we're going to take a look at today is which one? Honor one another. And why this one, you might ask? Well, great question. Well, not only is it, is it uh, a great one another in its own right, and not only do every one of us in this room have some places where we can improve our practice of honoring one another, but being that it is Mother's Day, before our time is done, we have the opportunity right here in our midst, uh, a built-in person that we can focus and practically apply some honor upon today. And, of course, that would be our moms. So for all of those reasons, today is why we land with honor one another. The verse where we find this particular one another given to us is in chapter 12 of Romans in your New Testament. You're already there. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Now, it's amazing to me the variety of ways the word honor works its way into our everyday conversations. For example, a guest speaker at a banquet says, what an honor it is for me to be here with you tonight. Or someone else says, she graduated with honors. Or he made the honor roll. Sure. The, the giddy young gal says to her best friend, Jeff, pop the question last night. Will you be my maid of honor? The courtroom judge asks the question of the witness. Do you promise to tell the truth and nothing but the truth? Yes, your honor. He didn't win, but he did get Honorable mention. You're tracking with me, right? These are all ways that we use this word. The little boy says to his mom, I'll do it. Scouts, honor. Yeah. The congressman says, I give the rest of my allotted time to the honorable senator from Wisconsin. He was honorably discharged from military service. Um, the pastor says to the young couple, Will you have this woman as your wife to love and honor her till death do you part? A dad says to his teenage son, you must honor your previous request, your previous commitment before you do what you want to do. You must honor your prior commitment. And then Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 says to all of us a command from God, honor your father and your mother. This word honor, man, it just shows up in way more ways than we might have realized. We use the word honor and its various cousins in a lot of different applications. We use it to show merited respect. We use it to address someone who's in a high office. We use it during ceremonial observances. We use it to protect someone's reputation. We use it to describe a person of integrity. We use it as a compliment. 
When Jesus used the word honor, he used it in reference to God and said, God is deserving of all of your honor. John chapter 8. In John chapter 5, Jesus says, the very same honor that you honor God with, you can honor me with. About as clear a statement that Jesus ever makes about the fact that he and God the Father are co-equal deity. One day in Mark chapter 7, Jesus condemned the religious leaders of his day for looking for loopholes in the Old Testament scriptures so that they would not have to financially care for their aging parents anymore. And he condemned them publicly saying, you have failed to honor your mom and your dad, your mother and your father. The Apostle Peter calls all of us who are followers of Jesus to honor our government leaders, those who are in charge over us. We are to honor them, 1 Peter 2.17. In chapter 3 of 1 Peter, uh, he will call all husbands to honor their wives out of loving regard for them. And then here we are in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, where the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, says, love one another with brotherly affection. We talked about that last week. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's our phrase for the day. Outdo one another in showing honor. I don't want to just yank this verse out of out of chapter 12 and just start running with it because that's not, a, that's not modeling for you the way that good Bible study works. This particular verse is part of a larger context of verses. And, and so let's take a look at that first. It's nested into a, a section of intensely practical instruction that Paul's giving to the church family in Rome. You know, we call this Idlewild Bible Church. Well, there was a Rome Bible Church in the first century, and Paul writes to this church. And in the first eight chapters of his letter to them called Romans, uh, he just gives them this incredible, mind-blowing doctrine about their salvation, their relationship with him. It's really great stuff. Then in chapters 9, 10, and 11, he talks about how Israel fits into the larger picture of God's redemptive plan for his world. And then in chapters 12 to the end of the book, chapter 16, Paul turns his attention in the direction of some nuts and bolts instruction on how to live well in Jesus, what living well for him looks like. And, and so this verse, verse 10, is part of that larger picture of how do I live well in this community with other people who love Jesus too? Notice how this works. Look at verse 9. We'll just start there as an example. And note how practical the instruction is from Paul. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold to what is fast. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. That's our verse. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. We did that a little earlier in our worship hour. Seek to show hospitality. Very practical. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. That's very practical. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Could it get any more practical for us than that? 
I mean, and that's where this verse, verse 10, falls, is in this kind of a section in Paul's letter. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor to each other. Now, you wouldn't know this from looking at your English Bible, but outdo one another in showing honor is only a three-word sentence in Paul's original letter, which he wrote in Greek. That word outdo, it only appears here in verse 10 in the entire Bible. You won't find it anywhere else. And it simply means to put before or to, to get out in front of or to, 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 be, to outpace or we would say maybe outrun. The word outdo works well. Outdo or outrun one another in showing honor. The, the word honor is a little word, te time. It means to give real value to something or to someone, to consider someone as precious or, or to give something weight or make it heavy. That's the idea behind the word, to genuinely appreciate something or someone and respect them, honor them. In this age of multiple versions of the Bible, where we have many that we can choose from, my guess is that there's a whole lot of different versions even in this room. Listen to how verse 10 is rendered in some of these other Bibles. The NIV says, Honor one another above yourselves. New American Standard says, Give preference to one another. The King James says, In honor preferring one another. Today's English version, Be eager to show respect for one another. Another translation says, in showing honor to one another, take the lead. And Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase called The Message, renders verse 10, practice playing second fiddle. I like that, don't you? Practice playing second fiddle. Outdo one another in showing honor. As lovers of Jesus, brothers and sisters, we're to try to outperform if I can say it that way, outperform one another in the ways that we show each other honor, considering others precious and of great value and worthy of respect. Outdoing one another is showing honor to one another. If we just did this one, if we didn't even touch the other 39, if we just did this one really, really well, I would imagine that we would be able to drive a stake through the heart of this thing called individualism. Just honoring one another and trying to outdo each other in that practice, man, that goes a long way toward building a God-honoring, other-focused, healthy church family. Now, it'd be impossible to think about honoring one another without talking about the need for humility. And so... We'll start with that thought and move on from there. Philippians chapter 2, verses you know well, verses 3 and 4. Can we read these off of the screen together out loud? You know these verses. Let's do it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The passage goes on to say that we are to have the mind and the heart of Jesus who humbly put others before himself and he did that all the way to the cross when he died in our place. How can we possibly honor others 
if we are hung up on ourselves. That would be the very opposite of what this verse would be calling for. It was William Temple, a pastor from the past, who said, If I read my Bible correctly, humility does not mean thinking less of myself than I think of other people. It doesn't mean having a low opinion of my own gifts and talents and abilities. What it means is having been given the freedom in Jesus not to think about me at all. (laughs) That's what it means to be humble, he says. To have the freedom in Jesus not to think about me at all. That's humility. Reminds me of the story of a group of young men. They were friends who one day were talking together about what they would like to do with their lives. And the first friend said, you know, I want to be a congressman so that I can draft laws to benefit my countrymen. The second friend said, well, I want to be a lawyer so that I can defend my countrymen. The third said, I want to be a doctor so that I can heal my countrymen. The three friends look at their fourth friend waiting for his response. And after a long pause, he said, guys, I just want to be your countryman. I don't care about doing anything for anybody else. You're going you're gonna to make laws for me and you're going to defend me and you're going to heal me. I just want to be your countryman. There's a guy who's not free of himself yet. We want to be free of ourselves. Free of thinking about us first. Love one another with brotherly affection, says verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. You have to always fight, as this little story would remind us. We always have to fight to be free of thinking about ourselves. We have that old sin nature. We concede that it's there. And our culture encourages us to take full advantage of that and to to cultivate the, 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 this culture of individualism. But, but our Heavenly Father calls us to something very, very different. Outdo one another in showing honor. One way that we can do that, and there are a number we can talk about, but if you look at that little note page, I'd like to highlight some places where we can practically do this thing called honoring one another. We'll move through these rather rapidly on our way to honoring moms this morning. But first of all, when I think about honoring others, one of the ways that I can practically do that is by being truly present with the people that I'm with and being attentive to them when I'm with them. And this is really born out of my own personal experience and my relationship with my wife, Lisa. When I'm with Lisa... And she's talking to me and she's sharing her day with me or a thought that she's got or some idea she has. And and I'm not really engaged with her. I'm not not attuned to her. I'm in her presence, but I'm not really present. Guys, does this ever happen to you? Or is this just a Tim thing? Just a Tim thing. Thank you. That really makes me feel good. You, you, you know exactly where I'm at, man. You know exactly where I'm at in this moment. You're, you're present with your wife, but you're not really there. And she's talking, and, and you're going, yeah, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh-huh. But you didn't hear anything that she said. And she asks you, what did I just say? 
and you're just busted, you know? You're just busted. But the reason this comes to my mind is because, guys, I say this to my own shame. Um, it, that is so dishonoring to Lisa. That is, that is so disrespectful of her when I do that to her. And I do that to her more than I wish I did. It's hurtful. And, and you know, there's no backpedaling from there. To, and no way to get out when you're in, man. You're just caught, Right? The damage is done. There's no putting that toothpaste back in the tube. You <laughs> dishonored your mate by not being present fully and by being attentive, listening carefully and, and interacting uh, in an honorable way. You know, Jesus was so committed to this particular practice in his relationships. And you just see it over and over again. When you were with Jesus, man, you... You knew Jesus was truly with you as well. The scene that comes to my mind, I've got it written down there as a reference for you on your note page, is John chapter 4. If you don't know that chapter, it's the story where Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman who comes to a well to get water midday, and Jesus is there. Uh, this woman was already an outcast in her village uh, because of choices that she had made in the past, all the other uh, women in the community had cut them, themselves off from her. They would go to get water early when it was cool. Uh, they would leave her to come and get it all by herself right in the, the hottest part of the day. Honor was something she never experienced from her, towns, uh, her townspeople. It wasn't even on her radar. So Jesus is at this well alone in John 4, and he, she, she walks up with her, her water jar, and he greets her. And, and he even asks, asks her for a drink. Can I have some water? And she is so blown away uh, that a Jewish man would ask her, a Samaritan woman, for water that she actually says, how is that possible? John 4, verse 9. How, how would, why would you even think of doing that? And then, and then what that does is it, it opens this dialogue between Jesus and this woman, and it's a dialogue that will ultimately change her life and the life of many in her village. But it all starts when Jesus honors her by treating her with respect, deeming her of value to him, and offering her living water in exchange for a drink of water. He was truly present. He was truly attentive. And she was a complete stranger to him. He didn't know her. Can we honor like that? We can. Inside this church family, you bet. Outside, you bet. With people we know, sure. With people that are strangers to us, yes, we can. And for sure with our mates. Yeah. Another way we can honor one another. These are very practical thoughts. With compliments, with affirmation, with cheers. We'll take the time to really unpack this thought when we get to the one another called encourage one another. That's one of the one another's that's repeated several times in the New Testament. We're going to get there on another Sunday morning. Uh, but just right now, we want to just note that honor and, and affirmation, honor and compliments, honor and cheers, they just kind of hold each other's hand. And we don't want to miss that thought. That note that you write to someone uh, to express your gratitude for something that they did for you, that's a way of honoring that person. When you come up behind a friend and you put your arm around them and you, you, just, you just pat them on the shoulder and you say, thank you 
for what you did. That's a way of honoring. When you pay a compliment to somebody that wasn't looking for it, and you say, I just really appreciate this about you. Uh, you go to your Sunday, to one of your children's Sunday school teachers and you, and you just say, I really appreciate that you took the time with, with Sally to, 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 to tell her that story and introduce her in a new way to Jesus. That is, that's huge. And it's honoring to the people that you do that for, to speak with a kindness to someone else. Are you and I good at that? When we do that well, brothers and sisters, we are honoring the other person. And Paul was great at honoring his fellow believers. Let me give you an illustration. Philippians chapter 1. Take your Bible. Join me there for just a second. As you know, Paul wrote letters to churches all the time. And one of the things that you really notice when you read his letters is that he honored those who were going to read his letters. And so we pick it up at verse 3 of Philippians chapter 1. Listen to Paul honor these first century brothers and sisters. Here's how he starts. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Is that an honoring statement? Well, you bet it is. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. And I am sure of this, he says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's an honoring statement. We're going to share heaven together, Paul says. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers of grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. How can this church family not feel honored when they read a line uh, like that out of a letter? Paul is expressing this and he's saying, man, I have you on my mind, verse 3. I have you in my heart, verse 7. I have you in my prayers, verse 9. A church family can go a long way when it's fueled like that by words of honor. Compare that by way of contrast with the person who is unable to honor other persons because they feel threatened with someone else's success. The negative example, and I put it there on your study page, is it flows out of the life of King Saul in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 18. There the young man, David, empowered by God, has this incredible string of successes, and he's a warrior in Saul's army, and people are singing songs about David, and they're singing songs about Saul, and and, and Saul gets terribly jealous. Do you remember this? Remember this moment? Here's what we read. First uh, Samuel 18, 8. And Saul was very angry, and the songs displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands killed, and to me they have ascribed only thousands killed. And what more can he have now but my kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. He couldn't honor David. So threatened was he by David's success. That's tough, isn't it? Pride keeps you from being able to honor others. You have to self-protect. We don't want that. A third way to outdo one another in showing honor is to fight for the what? Fight for the back seat. Now, what in the world does that mean? 
Well, mom and dad, if you have older kids, you know all about this, don't you? You know all about shotgun, right? Yeah. You know all about how the kids fight over who gets to ride shotgun. And so you're about to go somewhere, and they start yelling, I got what? I got shotgun. I got shotgun. And this, this thing, no, you got shotgun last time. It's my turn to have shotgun. And this, this conflict unfolds. Man, you don't want that, right? Wouldn't it be great if your kid says, I get the back seat. I get the back seat. Got to work on that, don't we? Honoring one another, though, means you fight for the back seat. Say, so where do I get that idea? Well, it really comes right out of the life of Jesus. Another moment out of Luke chapter 14. The reference is there on your, bio, in your, bio, uh, on your note page. Luke 14, beginning at verse 7. Here's what we read. Now Jesus told a parable to those who were invited to this dinner party when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place or take the back seat so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, come up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. There's there's that word, that thought of humility once again, such a critical piece of honoring one another. We outdo one another by fighting in a good way for the back seat. It's a great value to pass on to our kids, by the way, mom and dad. Fourth, we honor one another when we defend and we protect each other. We stand up for one another, and when we do that, we honor each other. This comes out, again, um, out of my own personal experience. Some time ago, I was in the company of some of our church family, and as a conversation was unfolding, things started to move in a less than honorable direction as someone was going to share something that they had heard about someone else in our church. But before they could get there, before they could go very far with that, another in our circle said, is this firsthand information or third party? And we all kind of looked, wow. It's third party, came the reply. Then I don't want to hear that. That's gossip. And, man, the conversation just took a right angle and went in another way. And I reflected upon that later. It occurred to me that the one who spoke up was actually protecting the name and the reputation of another brother or sister and guarding them from gossip. And what they were really doing, if you get down to the bottom of that, they were honoring that other person. They were honoring the word of God. And as I reflected on it even further, it felt good to me to know that should I someday in the future be the subject of some third-hand information and that person was present, I would be protected by that person. Does that 
Does that draw you together? Does that, does that bind you together closer? You bet that does. That's honoring one another. And that Jesus, again, would be a great example for us of this as he honored that woman in John chapter 8 who became the pawn of a vicious trap that some religious leaders had set for Jesus. They brought this woman to him. If you remember in John 8, she was guilty of, of having committed adultery. She was caught in the very act of that. And, and so they were going to try to trap Jesus using her. Will you uphold the law of Moses and see that she gets stoned? Or will you show compassion and disregard the law of Moses? Either way, Jesus is in a tough, tough spot. If you recall how the story goes, he challenges the accusers by telling them, whichever one of you is without sin, you be the first one to throw the rock. And, of course, everybody leaves. And Jesus is left alone with this woman. He forgives her. And he calls her to godliness. He saved her life. Do you think she felt honored by Jesus? You bet she did. He outdid everyone else that day in showing honor to another person. And again, this was a stranger to him, not somebody that he knew. A perfect stranger. Can we do that? You bet we can. We can defend and protect each other and honor each other. Well, then a fifth way we can honor one another is to make room for the one who does not see things exactly the way we see things. There's a place for honor here as well. Brothers and sisters, I'm compelled to bring this one before us because of something that I read just a a short time ago written by a pastor, and it just stuck with me. And here's what he writes. Her name was Melanie. She was looking for a church home for herself and her newborn baby. She was a tough, no-nonsense prosecuting attorney by vocation. She was looking for a group that could handle her faith questions And she had a number of them. She asked me as the pastor, is there a place in your church where I can say, I see it differently? Is there a place where I can bring my questions and my doubts and not be ostracized from everybody else? I thought about that. I have thought a lot about Melanie's question. Though she does not word it this way, what she was really saying is this. Will you still honor me if I don't always agree with you? Is this a safe place for me? Will I be respected as a person even though I don't always sign off on what you say every time? I find myself praying. Oh, Lord, make me a pastor and make us a church family where the Melanie's will be honored. Paul pressed the church family in Corinth in exactly this direction on an issue that had to do with eating meat that was offered to an idol. In Paul's world, he had freedom in Jesus, no problem for him. An idol was nothing, so if meat was offered to that idol, he could eat that meat as part of a meal and be just fine with it. But there were many brothers and sisters in that Corinthian church who struggled having come out of idol worship. They didn't want to be a part of anything like that. And so Paul would say, you know what? That's not a critical issue. That's not a, that's not a fundamental issue of the faith. I can flex. You believe that? Great. You go with that. And I will not eat meat because I love you more than I love my, my own personal opinion or, or uh, thought on that, that matter. 
what Paul was doing was honoring those Corinthian believers who were not as far down the road in terms of their freedom in Jesus as he was. A church where people are striving to outdo one another in showing honor is a place where Melanie is going to be safe. When it's not about me, it's about you. In matters that scripture don't give specific instruction about, man, that's a church that's growing in the right direction. We make room for others who don't see things exactly the way we do. I'm praying for a church culture like that. I told you that last week. That's my prayer right now. I'm praying for one anotherism to take over this, this church family in brand new ways like we've never experienced it before. We outdo one another in the art of honoring. When we're with each other, we're truly there, brothers and sisters, and we're listening, we're engaged, we're attentive. We're liberal with our kudos and our well-dones and our compliments, and we do so with kindness. We fight for the back seat. We don't fight for the front seat. We defend each other. We protect each other from harm, from whatever quarter it might come. And we honor the Melanies who come through our door because we love them and we love their questions more than we love our neatly boxed and wrapped up answers.